Welcome everyone to our weekly webinar here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. I'm at the embassy's uh, global headquarters here in Jerusalem. We've got an exciting program uh, for you today. We've got a very relevant, timely topic about Jerusalem in Islamic eschatology, how Muslims in their end time thinking, what, what place does Jerusalem have in it? And uh, particularly, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, the Palestinian role and practice in stirring jihad over Jerusalem over and over again by uh, reference to certain Islam Quranic verses and Islamic hadiths or traditions. Uh, and our special guest is Johannes Gerloff, if we can uh, have him appear. Johannes is a former uh, staff member here at the Christian Embassy when I first started back in 1997. Um, Johannes and I were uh, office mates, and uh, he was uh, representing the German branch here and doing many other things for us. Uh, he has gone on to be a, a journalist here in the Middle East and, um, and also an author. He's written a book about the Palestinians that a lot of what we're hearing will be based on some of his research and his interviews with many, many Palestinians during his time of uh, reporting over the last two decades or so here in the Middle East. But first, uh, we had a very uh, uh, interesting uh, moment today when our uh, president, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, uh, had a special appearance on Israeli television channel 13. They, their news department hosted a five-hour uh, national conference, a policy conference on Israeli politics, culture, the latest. They had politicians uh, all talking about the, the effort to form a new government. They had the big Israeli chefs, fashion, music, everything. And they had a special panel segment on um, uh, why, who truly cares about Holocaust survivors in Israel. And Dr. Bueller was able to talk in Hebrew about our work. If we can play a, a clip of this video from Channel 13. אנחנו, איך אומרים, represent מאגים? סליחה, לא שמעתי. מאגים? אנחנו, we represent millions of... אה, מייצגים, כן. מייצגים, מייצגים מיליונים של אבנגליסטים בכל העולם, ביותר מאה מדינות, ואנחנו עושים הרבה פרויקטים פה בארץ, אבל אני נולד בגרמניה, אבא שלי הוא היה חייל בזמן של היטלר, והוא כל הזמן אמר לי, יש לנו, איך אומרים, Responsibility לעם יהודים, ובגלל זה אנחנו פה, ואני חושב עבודה ביחד עם שמעון זה בשבילי כתר של עבודה שלנו, הכי חשוב לעזור ניצולי שואה לעבוד ביחד עם שמעון, הוא באמת מלאך ניצולי שואה בהיפה, הם קוראים לו אבא, זה משהו מיוחד. שמעון, מה באמת חסר בטיפול בניצולי שואה, כשאתה רואה אותו? מתוך העיניים שלך. תראה, מה שאנחנו עשינו היום, מדינת ישראל okay. עומדת לעשות את זה, הם היו אצלי לפני שבועיים, לעשות את המבנים שלחנו. Uh, and, and was uh, saved by a Jewish doctor uh, in a Russian prison camp and came back and uh, really was committed to helping the Jewish people and the state of Israel eventually when uh, um, it was founded. And uh, that's the legacy that, that Jurgen has and also talking about our work with Holocaust survivors, our charitable partner, uh, Shimon Sabag of Yad Ezra, Lehaver and our home for Holocaust survivors in Haifa. It's a great moment for us. Okay, let's get to today's topic, uh, talking about Islamic uh, uh, Jerusalem and Islamic theology. I'm going to do a, a, a screen share here. Uh, I have to open this. 
Okay. All right, everyone should be able to see this. Jerusalem in is, uh, Islamic eschatology. Let me make sure I've, I've shared this. Can you see that? Okay. Uh, Jerusalem and Islamic eschatology. And particularly uh, talking about the Palestinian use of the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, and Muslim Hadith, Quranic verses to stir jihad against Israel, against Jerusalem. And uh, we need to uh, first understand that um, uh, Islam coming along about six centuries after Christianity, it borrows the Quran. Uh, Muhammad, he uh, was illiterate, but he borrowed certain things. He knew something about Judaism, Christianity, the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian Bible. But uh, for whatever reason, he gets a lot of things. He borrowed stuff from the Old and New Testament, but he gets a lot of it scrambled up. Uh, such as Miriam, the sister of Moses, was also Miriam or Mary, the mother of Jesus. He has Aaron, the brother of Moses, building the golden calf with a Samaritan, who, of course, the Samaritan people didn't come along until hundreds and hundreds of years later with the Assyrian exile and Assyrian moving people, foreigners in to mix with some of the Israelite remnant in northern Israel. So there's really, uh, you know, some a lot of confusion and, and mistakes trying to borrow from the Bible. And especially in Islamic eschatology, there's also a lot of borrowing of the centrality of Jerusalem in their thinking and their hadith, so the, the centrality of Jerusalem in the end time battle. And uh, um, of course, then you have to turn to the Bible and say, well, what are they drawing from? And uh, all the prophets agree, the New Testament affirms that there is a last day's battle over Jerusalem. Zechariah 12 says, God, God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling or drunkenness and a heavy stone for all people. Anyone who tries to move it is going to be severely injured. Uh, and Zechariah 14, two chapters later, I'll gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Talks about half the city being taken. It's remarkable that in modern times, the last 70 some years, there's been a battle over half of Jerusalem, the eastern half. So even uh, scripture is, is uh, shedding light on our times in that, and, and the battle is so intense, but the Lord himself comes and uh, to deliver uh, the people, he's going to come and fight. And it says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It will cleave. The Jewish people run to it through safety. It's actually uh, uh, imagery from the Exodus and the deliverance of Israel from Pharaoh and the parting of the Red Sea. The Mount of Olives will even part. Uh, you have Joel chapter 3, I'll also gather all nations, bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, that's the Kidron Valley, between Mount Zion, the, the Temple Mount, and the Mount of Olives, which you see in this image, uh, and, and bring them down to this valley and enter into judgment uh, against them there because of the way they scattered my people and divided my land. Uh, and there's, there's other verses we could turn to, Psalm chapter 2, very prophetic uh, about uh, an end days um, confrontation uh, where the, why do the nations rage, the people plot a, a vain thing, the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel against the Lord, uh, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. And uh, the Lord will speak to them in his wrath, distress them in his great displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill, a last day's confrontation over the Temple Mount, over Jerusalem and the throne of David, where God will set his Messiah one day. It ends in a good place. Many scriptures, such as Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, uh, Micah 4 repeats this, uh, um, Isaiah 24, and even over in the New Testament, Revelation talks about the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion with his elders, but here, it, uh, meaning the, the Temple Mount, but here it says that one day 
uh, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord, uh, um, uh, the mountain of the Lord's house, meaning the temple will be established on the tops of the mountains, uh, exalted above all hills. All nations will flow to it. The word of the Lord will go forth from Zion. The, uh, the, the law will go forth from Zion, word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he'll judge the nations, rebuke them. And finally, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, they won't lift up sword against nation. Uh, after this battle of Jerusalem, there will be a reign of righteousness and peace by the Messiah over all the earth from Jerusalem. And as we turn to Islam, uh, here's a map of the early conquest of Islam starting in the 7th century and almost conquered the known world. Uh, one of the first major cities they conquered was Jerusalem. Uh, but uh, what we need to understand today in Islamic thinking that um, there was a certain favor of Allah upon the followers of Muhammad in those early centuries that today much much of Islamic thinking it, it, they're trying to recapture that that moment in that place where they were pleasing Allah so much that he gave them favor where they were out conquering and taking new lands and spreading Sharia law and such and they believe that because they uh, follow a superior revelation from God that that the the Jews falsified parts of the Old Testament, Christians falsified parts of the New Testament, Muhammad brought back uh, original truth, a superior revelation, and, and because of this, they, um, their, Islam will eventually triumph and conquer the whole world, and Jerusalem has an important place in this. For instance, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, the uh, Iranian Revolution, 1979, he preached that uh, you know when the Muslim people go back to fundamental Islam and pleasing Allah, he will give them victory again over their enemies. They'll be able to have his favor and go conquer the world. And the first sign of the most important sign is they will take Jerusalem back from the Jewish people. And this is uh, really at the heart, whether you're Shia or Sunni Islam, some of these radical groups, this is at the heart of their thinking that the taking of Jerusalem, it's only important today because it's, it's back in Jewish hands. And this has, has raised its importance in Islamic thinking once again. And they view it as a, a sign of, uh, you know, the, uh, the favor of Allah, if they're able to retake it. And whoever is leading the Muslims in conquering Jerusalem is going to lead this uh, jihad. And so there's rivalries over who will do that. So we want to make a distinction here between uh, Muslim veneration of Jerusalem. This is historic view that uh, Jerusalem is the third holiest site in Islam. We'll ask Johannes to explain how that uh, tradition developed, uh, and uh, but uh, make a distinction between that past veneration of Jerusalem uh, based on a Quranic verses about uh, Muhammad's myth mythical night vision versus Jerusalem and end time prophecy and this notion of Islamic uh, supremacy and triumphalism and this, uh, this uh, hadith about there will be perpetual war between Muslims and Jews until judgment day. Uh, uh, at the bottom of the screen, the hour of resurrection will not come until you fight the Jews, speaking to Muslims, fight the Jews, and they hide behind stones or trees. The stones or trees will call out, O Muslim servant of Allah, there's a Jew behind me, come and kill him, except a certain tree. And Johannes, as a scholar, is going to uh, give us a, uh, insights into this hadith but it's this notion that there's perpetual war between Jews and, and Muslims until Judgment Day and until a tribe of Jews defeats, I mean, a tribe of Muslims defeats a tribe of Jews and sort of leads the Muslim world into finally conquering uh, the world. Uh, I'll probably skip some of this, but the important part here, the Palestinians have repeatedly played the Jerusalem card, the Al-Aqsa card, many times 
over the last hundred years as Jerusalem has, has come back slowly uh, into Jewish hands. Uh, these are some of the dates, 1921, 29, 36 through 39, 1948, 96, 2000 through 2005. It was called the Al-Aqsa Intifada, the second armed Palestinian Intifada, which was sparked because uh, Ariel Sharon and his Likud faction uh, as leader of the opposition visited the Temple Mount and they used that as a pretext to start an armed uprising against Israel. And of course, the recent Hamas rocket war uh, from Gaza with Israel was to defend Al-Aqsa and defend Jerusalem. And I'll just note that today, it's not only Fatah, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the uh, Palestinian Authority, and it's not only Hamas, but there's a third uh, Palestinian movement uh, called the Tahrir, who they compete as, as who's going to be the champion of Jerusalem, of Al-Aqsa, and lead this last day's jihad against the Jews, which then leads to conquering uh, the world. Um, and a lot of what uh, precipitated the recent war was because this is happening down in Abu Dhabi. Israel is making peace with certain Arab countries and, and uh, the United Arab Emirates here in Abu Dhabi is getting ready to build this grand mosque and church and synagogue all side by side to show how the three Abrahamic faiths can live in harmony. There's none of this focus on Jews, hide, kill Jews until they hide behind trees and stones, none of that. Uh, you know, Israel and, and these Arabs were creating a new vision for the Middle East and and for the world, and this really sidelined the Palestinians. Uh, they'd rather go back to this old vision of, of, of perpetual war with the Jews. Uh, and uh, to get out of it, the, uh, the um, Mahmoud Abbas uh, first called an election, but then when he realized Hamas was going to win it, uh, he canceled them. The Palestinian street got frustrated. Uh, as Ramadan continued, the month of Ramadan, uh, there was a lot of incitement. Hamas felt a little sidelined in Gaza, but they uh, leapfrogged um, Fatah and, and Mahmoud Abbas by firing rockets at Jerusalem towards the end of Ramadan and uh, in what they called Operation Sword of Jerusalem, okay? And we'll stop there and now uh, bring in Johannes Gerloff to, you know, if you wanna first, Johannes, talk a little about the, you know, some of the wider concepts, all Muslims, but then please help us understand the way the Palestinians in particular have used some of these Quranic verses and, uh, and uh, traditions, the Hadiths, to really fuel and stir uh, their war against uh, Israel, the Jewish state. Welcome. Um, <clears throat> do I understand properly that we will have afterwards also Q&A or is yeah, it we're, just we're, my talk? See if there's some questions here, if you leave a little time for it. Okay, the, I, I, I'm just uh, saying that because I want to, um, uh, be in view of how much time we have. I'd like to, to first um, emphasize one thing. I am not a Quranic or Islamic or whatever scholar. Um, my background is that I'm a Christian theologian and I've been working for 18 years as a journalist in the Middle East. And I'm simply curious of what people think, what makes them do certain things. So um, I simply come as a Bible reader, as a Christian, into this area, and I ask questions. And I'm, I'm letting you participate in these questions and what answers I got. The second thing I would like to emphasize, and I give you a certain caution there, um, towards myself is I learned while being in Israel in the Middle East, never trust anybody who tells you about somebody else. So if a Christian tells you what the Muslims think, be careful. Rather let a Muslim talk. Or if a secular Israeli tells you what the religious Israelis think or the 
Orthodox or even ultra-Orthodox, be careful. He will tell you what he thinks about them. So I'd like to really, therefore, I, I put the cards open on the table so you know what I'm talking about. I am not a Muslim. I'm not a Muslim scholar. I'm not an Islamic scholar, but I'm just a normal Christian who asks questions. Now, I, I also, if you happen to come to Israel, and I very much hope that the doors and the, the airports will open again, so you can come and you can talk to people, be aware that we are not just talking different languages, but we are talking different mentalities. And sometimes using the same word, we mean very different things. Let me just take one example. If I talk about truth as a Westerner, as a German, I might mean something totally different than an Arab or a Middle Eastern person. For me, truth comes from the Greek background and is something that is unhidden. And if I, as a journalist, ask somebody about the truth, I'm trying to unhide him, which very often might end up as something that is kind of embarrassing. That's the reason why most people don't like the journalists who have written about them objectively. So they only like the journalists who made propaganda for them. Be aware of that. A Muslim or an Arab will have a totally different understanding of truth, much more a Semitic understanding. And there it is something trustworthy. It is something you can build upon. It is something that builds up also friendship, that builds up something good. So I, I hope you understand. It's not that I'm saying now one understanding is better than the other. But sometimes if I as a Westerner come and I want to know what is truth from an Arab point of view, it will destroy, it will not be trustworthy, it will destroy also re our relationship. And that makes communication very difficult, especially if we get into areas where my wife just told me she saw a, a truck in Germany once and there was written something in Arabic on it. And she heard some Muslim woman, women talk about that truck and smiling and joking in their language. I think it was Turkish. And then she asked, what did you say? What is written on that track? And there was silence. They didn't want to talk. So this makes it very difficult for us to understand what Muslims really think. Now, if I go into the topic of Jerusalem, I have to give you a little bit background. Um, First of all, for me, always the question was, how important is, is Jerusalem really for Muslims in general? And I discovered that Jerusalem, I, I mean, if you go back and trust archaeologists, then, then Jerusalem is 7,000 years old. So uh, as a Bible reader, I have to say, oh, yes, it was founded about 1,000 years because, before the earth was created. Um, but but let, let's leave that aside. It's a very old city. In 638 AD, it was conquered by Caliph Omar ibn al-Khattab, the, the Muslims. It was six years after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. And then from 630 AD until 1967, with some interruptions like the Crusaders, it was always a Muslim city. It was always dominated by Muslims. But and now listen exactly. Uh, uh, carefully, it never ever was a capital of, an, of, of some kind of a Muslim state or entity or province. Never ever. If they wanted to make a capital in the area, they made Ramle, which you might not even know normally. It's down next to the airport, a, a small town. And that was a provincial capital for some time, but never Jerusalem. It was exclusively an Israelite or Jewish capital with some 100 years or something like that in between that it was a Christian capital of a, of a Christian kingdom, Jerusalem. Now, there are some people who say that Jerusalem is never, ever mentioned in the Quran. And technically, this might be right. The name is never mentioned. However, I found it mentioned once, and this makes it very significant. It's in Surah 2, the second Surah the surah, which is called Al-Baqarah, the cow. And there it says that actually the prophet Muhammad in, um, 
commissioned by Allah, tells the followers to pray not in the direction of the um, of Jerusalem, but pray specifically towards the sacred mosque, which is Mecca. And if you want, it's it's three times underlined in Surah Two. If you want really to know what Muslims think about uh, about Jerusalem, then look at them when they pray up on the Temple Mount. They call it Haram Sharif, and they don't turn towards what the Bible calls the Holy of Holies, but they turn towards Mecca and turn their back towards what, according to the Bible, is the Holy of Holies. Now, you know, it, it, for me, I, I just want to bring this as one example. When I went and asked how important is Jerusalem for Muslims, there is really a big, big question mark. I once wrote a book about the Palestinians, and I think at the embassy they have some left. I actually waste theirs 40 pages to ask about the significance of Jerusalem for Muslims. And so you don't have to buy the book. Uh, I, I will tell you what the result is after 40 pages. I say I really don't know what and why Jerusalem is significant to Muslims. I know, and let's not question that, that today they say this latest Gaza war was about Jerusalem. And David mentioned before some people who called for um, focus on Jerusalem. Or I have in front of me here some quotes like Yasser Arafat, who some of you might still remember, in, in May 1994, he called for jihad, for the liberation of Jerusalem in a mosque in Johannesburg. And he said, our struggle is first and foremost about Jerusalem. And he called Jerusalem the holiest shrine of Islam and all Muslims. Now, nobody dared to question that, obviously, because for us as Christians, it makes sense. For Jews, it makes even more sense. But if you look in Islamic documents, in Palestinian documents, I'm looked for example, I've looked, for example, at the Palestinian National Charter from June 2, 1964. And the date here is important because the PLO was founded, you know where? In Jerusalem, you have here behind me the Mount of Olives, and on top of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, the PLO was founded, and the Palestinian National Charter not even once mentions Jerusalem. It was only after July 30th, 1980, that Crown Prince Fahd of Saudi Arabia at that time declared jihad to protect the Holy One, Al-Quds. But in the 19 years when Jerusalem was under Jordanian rule, not one member of the Saudi family, ruling family, made a pilgrimage up to the Holy City, even though they were all, every summer they were down in Jericho. So it is a fact that among Palestinians there is, and, and among Muslims, there's a whole, they make a whole fuss about Jerusalem. And it is a fact that the military wing of the Fatah party, it's the biggest party in the PLO, um, is called Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades. Or you have the military wing of Islamic Jihad, it's called Al-Quds Brigades. It's all focused on Jerusalem or the, uh, the special units in the Revolutionary Guards in Iran that's called Quds Unit. But the question is really, why is Jerusalem so important? And I had again and again uh, so small pieces, and, and David, you already mentioned this hadith. Um, I lately wrote a piece about it, and you might find that on my website if you want. I don't want to dig into it, but it, 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 I, I was told already 30 years ago by Muslims in the old city when I asked them, now what is so important? It's not Jerusalem that appears there, it's about the Jews. And then they talk about that the, the final day, the judgment day, will not appear before the stones and the trees are shouting out and saying, oh Muslim, oh true believer, come here, a, a, a Jew is hiding behind me, come and kill him. And then they talk about this hadith, the hadith actually I might have to explain, is not the Quran, 
it's it's um, it's a collection of um, of anecdotes of the life of uh, of the Prophet Muhammad and of sayings about him, so things he told, and and what is said there is that there is one tree that does not play this game, and it's the tree that's called Ragkad. I, as a German, will not be able to pronounce it properly. I will never ask an American to pronounce it. Um, but I was interested, what tree is it? And you know, then it came, came up actually in my book about the Palestinians, this hadith is not mentioned once because I heard it from some simple people. And even if I asked illiterate Bedouins in the desert, I asked them about, do you know what the Rarkad is? They smile at me. They know at once what I'm talking about. So I did not dare to write about it until I heard that at the 49th anniversary of Fatah, now you have to understand that Fatah is the party, it, it's, the, it's the, the main power backbone of today's Palestinian Authority, which we call secular. It's against Hamas, yeah? So at the 49th anniversary of Fatah, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem quoted this hadith. And then he added something. He said that actually the Jews are planting these rarkat trees all around their settlements because then they can hide behind them. And this shows how true the Islamic tradition is. Now, I actually went that far that I sent one, my assistant who had been studying Arabic in Damascus, I sent her to the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and asked him, let her ask him, what is the rarkat tree? She was thrown out. And actually, the, the, the Grand Mufti denied ever having said that. You can go to my website. Uh, I, I can give you, I, I will show it to you at once. Um, and, and, and look there, you can listen to the Grand Mufti saying it on the internet. It's up until today on the, on the internet. I'm not making it up, but nobody questioned it. And look, I think the major point for us as Christians is, First of all, let's try to understand Muslims. And if we have Muslims listening to that, I would be very interested to understand what you are thinking about. But I know the theories that this is not meant literally. I know the theories that this is not meant as an instruction to deal with Jews in end times. I know about all these things. But it is something that every Palestinian Muslim knows. But if you go and dig a little bit, and what I did just during the past days, I talked to one of the settler leaders and I asked him whether he knows what the Rarkat tree is. And he didn't know. So not to talk about planting these things. It's hilarious. But you know, what is going on here is that if I dig and ask for the facts, if I ask how important is Jerusalem, if I ask why are you so hateful, why do you hate the Jewish state and the Jewish people? And look at what happened at Gaza now. The ones who are really hurt and who really suffered from this war were the people in Gaza. But Hamas obviously seems to have won this war if you ask people in the West Bank. Because they are full of admiration towards Hamas. You ask, what is the reason behind it? And then you come up with things like this. And this is just one puzzle um, that I found over the years where, where things are being used. If you dig a little bit deeper, they, they're coming up as something that is not really in existence, or they come up as something that is simply not true. I mean, first, I would like to know what the Holocaust tree is. Secondly, I want to like to find even one Jew that ever planted one Rarkat tree, and I have not found it. And it's, and look, there, there, there are more things like that, where we say as Germans or as Europeans, we have to be balanced, we have to listen to both sides. But if one side wants peace and the other side lies, and we don't even check it, we don't even dare to say that they're lying, then, and, and, and I tell you, if I talk to Palestinian friends, they are sometimes ashamed of talking about these things. So be careful 
if you talk to Muslim friends about these things, honor them, love them. I think we have a future together. And if we listen to the Bible, then the Bible has a future for non-Jews, especially if it comes to Jerusalem. And our commission as Christians is not to be mocking about people or to, to, to dishonor them by showing that they are lying, but, but to lift them up and to help them. But we have to be truthful and we have to be clear in what is said and what is not said. I'll just show you where you can find it on my website, the article about the Valkad, and you, you can go there into it. And then I'm really open for questions. Um, I have to find out how I share a screen here. And um, first of all, um, I think uh, you have it now. This is my website. So you just take my surname, Gerlof, and you make a dot after it and then co.il, co stands for company and il for Israel. And if you go there to all articles, you will find this article about the Ralkat tree where you can go into it. And here, if you click on the Grand Mufti, you have this speech of him of 2012 that, um, that uh, talks about the Ralkat tree. But what you need is this, um, uh, website and actually if you use your contact for contact form you can reach me directly um, the, the the messages that are being sent out from there are being sent out into my mailbox so but I'm now open for for questions and I do stop sharing I don't know what you saw but I hope that was that gave you the the point of further discussion we're also going to put up uh, towards the end your, uh, your book and tell people how they can uh, get your book. But um, I, I want to um, I want to sort of focus in the the hadith about uh, or tradition about perpetual war until even nature uh, is is helping the Muslims uh, defeat the Jews. The rocks and trees are crying out. I, I think somewhere in there they got a little of that from like uh, biblical eschatology about how nature sort of changes when the ultimate uh, end of the age comes. But um, and and the way you said the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, Yasser Arafat himself in the Johannesburg Mosque where he was filmed or taped and and didn't know it and it came out later and. Uh, and uh, you know, stirring that, but there's also this. This uh, it's based on Quranic verses, but it's a later hadith or tradition about Al-Aqsa, the furthest mosque, and how uh, Jerusalem became came to be venerated as the third holiest place by many Muslims. Can you explain this? Um, look, first of all, I do want to be really clear on that that um, not all Muslims think alike. And we exactly. have to be very clear that there are, there's, for example, Surah 5 in the Quran that talks about that Allah has given the land of Israel to the Jewish people. And this, this um, Surah or this saying is actually also in Islamic tradition never being questioned. And there are serious Muslim scholars who say this has to be heard, this has to be heeded. I also would like to say that if you look at today's reality in the land of Israel, it is Muslims who fought together with Jews in the Israeli army from the very beginning. It is sometimes Muslims who much more help the um, the, the Israelis or the Jewish people to settle down and build the state of Israel than Christians. We normally like to think that Christians are the, the peaceful ones and the ones who, are, who love the Jews and so on. The, the fact in Israel is different and we have to see that. It's only since the Arab Spring that there is a, 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 a vocal Christian voice that says we have to take the side of the Jews. 
And a lot of Muslim anti-Judaism, or, or it's not anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism is racist, um, but of this hatred or distrust of the Jews might have its origins with Christians. We have to be very careful there. Um, it, it's also Christians is not uh, Christianity is not the originator of hatred of the Jews, as some Jews might like to think. Um, there were pagan Jew haters before. So, um, but 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 there is this kind of uh, ghost I would like to say of hating Jews, and we have to confront that. I think together, also together with Muslims. So, um, in saying what I what I have to say. Yes, we have to question this as, as something, and I think there is enough reason that Muslims out of their own tradition can question that. Now, there are these anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist uh, traditions, and there is this hatred and there is this in, uh, uh, incitement that we see today, especially coming from Iran. But um, it's also contradicting itself. And what I just want to say is that the basic statements um, that, that the Jewish people will have to be, have to be killed, um, I think I would like as a Christian much more like to look into our own eschatology and ask what do we have there if Christians bring all kinds of scenarios that the Jewish people will come back into the land of Israel so a, a, a huge part of them will be killed and stuff like that. And so, so there are things, but this is the inner Christian discussion and we should look at the specific text, whether they really say that. So um, if we look into, into, for example, towards Iran, um, I am not sure about the internal quarrels they have there. But uh, if, if we talk at the moment, it's coming up, it's blubbing up the, the whole question also about the uh, nuclear bomb that Iran might have and that Iran might use for its purposes. Um, I think what is the greatest threat to Israel, namely that it's the religious people in Iran or some religious people who want, would like to threaten Israel with a nuclear bomb they, ha they have, I think that is also the biggest protection we have because they tend then for whether good or bad reasons um, tend to believe that Jerusalem is the third holiest place of Islam. I would like to talk to these people and, and ask them about Qum, for example, which is a Shiite holy city and, and whether it's fourth or whether it's third. And uh, I know that it's, it's Saudi Arabia and it's from the, from the uh, so the Arabian Peninsula, Arabian Peninsula, people coming up, theologians coming up that say the term Al-Aqsa that appears in the Quran actually doesn't at all talk about Jerusalem and that Muhammad did not go into heaven from Jerusalem, but from another place. So there is inner Islamic discussion. The point is, and the point I have to make here is that we as Christians, because it sounds log logic from our point of view, should not at once jump on that and, and say, okay, if, if the Palestinians cry Al-Aqsa and you showed the dates and it's true that they use this topic over and over again, we should not say automatically they are right. But maybe they're dead wrong. And maybe the problem of the Palestinians is, which we see also with these Abraham Accords and other things, that they're losing prominence and they're losing their attention on the world stage that that that's their main problem and we as christians should ask do you really mean what you say is it really founded in quranic in the in in muslim tradition what you say or are you puffing simply something up because it works especially in the western world and if you come and say jerusalem is the city of the of the three great religions, which also Donald Trump repeated and others, um, we say, yes, yes, yes. Is it really? I mean, who are the ones who prayed every day several times for Jerusalem? It's not the Muslims, it's not the Christians, it's only the Jews. Let's be very clear here. And 
we have similar we have similar phenomena here where things are emotional and therefore i'm grateful you showed in the introduction uh, or pointed to Zechariah 12 for example where where the lord says i will make jerusalem a burdensome stone it doesn't say uh, the devil made it by bringing the Quran in, or something like that. Or it doesn't say that, that there's antagonism and, and it's, it's all those who hate the one true and only God. God says, I will make it. And if we ask really for the reasons, and we find that Jerusalem actually should be irrelevant for Muslims. And let's about, talk about Christians later. But that it is from the Bible, and in tradition, in history, only a Jewish city. And Christians and Muslims ignored the city until the Jews came back. Then maybe we start to discover that there is something else going on, something deeply emotional with a lot of people, or maybe something that is spiritual in the end. I don't want to jump there to any conclusions as a theologian. I know that I have my certain leanings and I'm studying biblical texts normally, but, um, but, but there is something going on that is much more obvious on the world stage, much more obvious and points to the Bible, cannot be justified from Quran, cannot be justified from the Hadith, can not be justified even from Christian thinking, I think, but, uh, can only be seen if we take seriously and literally what the Bible says. Yes, thank, thanks, Johannes. I, I've um, come to the conclusion that the Muslim world, a lot of the pro-Palestinian elements out there, they're not going to come to the aid of the Palestinians over uh, refugees or exactly where the border runs up in Samaria or whatever, that the, the Palestinian leaders of Fatah and Hamas realize the only thing they really have to play is, is Muslim sentiment towards Jerusalem and because it's in Jewish hands. I think that's sort of a summary of what, what uh, you're saying, that it's the one card they have to play and they use it over and over. But I think uh, you've made a good case that there's no real basis is in the Quran for it, but there is this hadith that ties the that says the farthest Mars, the Al Masid Al Haram Al Aqsa, the farthest mosque which Muhammad supposedly went to in his mythical night journey is not in Saudi Arabia where all the early tradition says it was, but it's in Jerusalem. This was, this was a, a myth created by the Umayyads, uh, uh, what about a generation or two after um, the death of Muhammad because they lost control of Mecca. Is that the origin of it? There was, there was a, uh, several hundred years after the rise of Islam, there was a competition between Baghdad and Damascus. And Baghdad actually had the, 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 um, uh, the rule over the holy places, Mecca and Medina. And Damascus tried to pounder that somehow and discovered that Jerusalem is important in holy scripture. And actually, the Quran points to the Bible and, and the New Testament and, and asks Muslims to read the Holy Scriptures. So, so they kind of brought that up, but that was later. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, I would like, I would simply, what I want to show first as, a, as not a, a Quranic scholar, not an Islamic expert, but as a simple person going out listening starting to listen to the facts and i it makes me question why does somebody who is the spiritual head of all muslims and israel and the palestinian authority the grand mufti muhammad ahmad hussein why does he have to tell stupid things about one hadith combining it with simply non-truths about what the settlers are doing they don't plant trees. They don't take that seriously. Mm -hmm. 
Why does he have to flee there in order to justify his own zeal for Jerusalem? Maybe it would be much easier from his tradition to say, Allah promised this line to the Jews, so we leave it to the Jews. I don't know. My challenge goes to those who understand Islam, those who understand Arabic, those who study the Quran and the Hadith in the original language and who are experts there to prove to us in a way that we can't find that easily untruths so that we ask them, show us, prove it to me from your tradition. Actually, this tradition about killing the Jews and the stones and the, and the trees hiding, it, it, it sounds ridiculous. And as I said before, I didn't dare because when I heard it only by normal Palestinians, I didn't dare to write about it, but it is quoted in the Hamas charter. So it is part of their legal basis. And I, again, I want to ask, why do I have to go there? And if so, does that mean that there is no peace in sight at all? Because if I take that, and if they will, they, they, they're going towards a final war, then every peace Muslims make with Israel or with the Jewish people or with the Jewish state is doomed to fail because in the end, they will have to kill all the Jews. So, um, but maybe the more liberal Muslims are right and say, no, it's not that, that way. And maybe we Christians have to ask, how did they get these ideas? Maybe it's our fault. And maybe there were some anti-Jewish Christian ideas out there that are not really founded in the Bible. <laughs> if I say it like this, yes, I believe that. And I believe that a lot of Christians run after things. For example, if there are simple things like, like people try to tell me that the Antichrist has to be a Jew. It's a Christian myth that you cannot base on the Bible. You can like it if you come from an anti-Jewish Christian tradition. But it's not based on the Bible. And let's not be amazed if myths like that bear fruit up to the point that they are being taken up in Muslim tradition, but then we Christians first should come and, and uh, how do you say, say uh, in Latin, mea maxima culpa, it's my great failing, and not point to the Muslims how bad they are. So, so there is something where I think we have to go back, and, and it is actually, if you look at the passages, also, uh, David, you quoted before, and if you read them as a whole, then the Lord has a glorious plan and a glorious image for Israel and the nation focusing on Jerusalem. And it says all the nations, that means also the Muslims, they might have there something right if they say Jerusalem is important. They will come up to Jerusalem to worship the one true and only God, the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. And if we focus on that, and if we then start together with the Jewish people, ask now what, what anti-biblical traditions, what anti-God traditions do we have in our religions and expose them and work on them? then maybe we get a step further. And I, I, would like to, I would like to hint to something. We have, at least at the latest, since the Arab Spring, a huge question mark within Islam that Muslims, and I know some of them personally, ask, can that be Islam? Can that be the true religion that slaughters people like we have seen it from uh, ISIL or, or, or other organizations, Hamas, or you mentioned Hezbollah, they did not come out politically, not violently in the same way, but um, if you talk about Al-Qaeda, it comes again. Um, Mus Muslims are questioning, and then they discover, sometimes by dreams and vis visions, that Yeshua, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Redeemer of this world. 
and now the interesting things come. And I had that, I had a former uh, Salafi sheikh sitting in front of me and he realized that Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the one who killed the enmity. That's what is written in Ephesians. Mm -hmm. And then his big question was, now do I have to become a Christian? But I don't want to become a Christian. Look how the Christians are. Look what they do with the Bible. Look how they live. I don't want to become like that. And suddenly, suddenly there, there is a big, big question mark, big insecurity within myself. So my quest really would be, let's focus on what the Lord is doing. Let's focus on the Lord's word and let's invite people who come from other traditions who maybe some Asians might not have these anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic traditions in their Christianity. Maybe we need you, brothers and sisters, to help us to newly appreciate and see what is written in the word of God. And these are some important challenges that you're giving us, Johannes, to, uh, you know, work with, between reconciliation between Jews and Christians, as well as, as with uh, Arabs. And uh, here at the Christian Embassy, we've become very active in the whole Isaiah 19 vision of uh, reconciliation in the Lord, in the one new man, between Jewish and Arab and Gentile uh, believers. Also a good challenge for us as Christians to practice what we preach, because it is true that uh, uh, a lot of Arabs and Muslims look at the decadence of the Christian West and, you know, are turned off by it. And, uh, and we have to really, uh, you know, live godly lives. And also the challenge that we look at our own eschatology and, and, and sort some of these things out. What, what is the teaching of man and what does the scripture really say? And I think living in Jerusalem all these years, it's caused me to challenge like certain teachings like the two-thirds die in Israel in the, in the tribulation, that two-thirds of the Jews here die. I, I, I don't believe uh, that's an uh, accurate interpretive, good handling of the prophetic scriptures. But we've been dealing here with uh, mainly two hadiths. The, the Quran talks about Muhammad visiting the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the out, uh, outermost mosque, which at the time there was no mosque in Jerusalem. So how can this be? But it was a later tradition, 50, 70 years later, where the Umayyad dynasty in Damascus, because they lost Mecca, they elevated it. And the Palestinian, they elevated Jerusalem to this third holiest place to try and draw pilgrims away from Mecca to Jerusalem, that for centuries, this, you know, no Muslim rulers or whatever made pilgrimage. It was never a capital of any Muslim kingdom. And only in modern times, when it's come back in the hands of the Jewish people, as Jerusalem started to matter to uh, uh, Arab Muslims again, and uh, that um, the Palestinians in modern times are using this. Johannes, it is, it is uh, remarkable and really scary that even a couple years ago when a couple, I think they were Israeli Arabs from the, the north, they brought a couple, uh, they brought a gun up into the Temple Mount and hid it there and the next day went and shot like Israeli soldiers or someone, uh, you know, desecrating what they consider a holy mosque by bringing weapons into it, going and shooting Israelis in the old city. And then Israel put, uh, the um, Israeli security put these metal detectors in order for Muslims to go up on the Temple Mount. And from Morocco to Indonesia, and even in European cities, the whole Muslim world is up in arms and, and nothing else can stir the Muslim world like the jihad for Jerusalem and, and the Palestinians know how to use that and this other hadith about perpetual war between Muslims and Jews. I think it's good that we sort of understand that. And Johannes, I think you made another very excellent point that it, it is our scriptures, which they borrowed from and, and you know, it just seems they twisted them in certain ways. But our scriptures say that God promises, for instance, Joel chapter 3 starts out that I will gather my people back to the land and back to Jerusalem, and then I will gather all nations up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
and uh, enter into judgment, that God actually wants through this process and this, this thorny issue of Jerusalem to draw the nations up and to judge and humble them there to prepare the way for his son to sit on his holy hill. And this is a, a sort of prophetic process that we try to focus on the bright side of prophecy, the ingathering of Israel, but this is a sort of side that uh, isn't always pretty to watch and it, it causes birth pangs. It's painful for everyone, a lot of suffering, but this is the process that we're in as Jerusalem becomes a cup of trembling and a burdensome sown to all nations. We thank you, Johannes. Uh, if we can put up his book, The Palestinians, by Johannes Gerloff, our guest today. He's a, a, an author and a uh, Christian journalist for uh, 20 years or so here in the land. He was the uh, Middle East Bureau Chief for the Evangelical Press Association of Germany, the KEP, and, uh, and still writing and, uh, and authoring here. Uh, is, is that up on the screen? I hope so. The Palestinians' myth, Myths and Martyrs, available by Johannes Gerloff, available from our bookstore at icejstore.com, at icejstore.com, The Palestinians. Okay, thank you, Johannes, for your time with us. And as we uh, leave this webinar, just uh, remember to join us uh, next week for our ICEJ weekly webinar, next Thursday, four o'clock, same time. And also uh, make sure to join us for our global prayer next Wednesday at four o'clock. We have lots of good guests there, uh, but we uh, want to show you a short video about some of the response and, and the impact that we had during the recent uh, rocket war here in uh, here in the land of Israel and how uh, the Christian embassy and our branches worldwide responded to this. So just enjoy this video as we exit the show. Thank you for joining us again. looking here at the horizon at the wider Tel Aviv metropolitan area where thousands of rockets were raining down from the Gaza Strip just a few days ago. The rockets could be very clearly seen from here as they were hitting the Tel Aviv area, how they were intercepted by the Iron Dome, but also many other areas around the Gaza Strip has been hit by the Hamas terror that was launching thousands of rockets on Israeli soil. But in the midst of this crisis, the International Christian Embassy have been here on the ground. We were standing with the Jewish people on your behalf. And I want you to watch what we have been doing on your behalf here in the land of Israel during this time of the Gaza conflict. The ICEJ can say that in good times and even in the hardest times, as in this most recent conflict, we're here to let Israel know she is not alone. In the midst of some 4,000 rockets unleashed on Israel, we're privileged to be here on the ground assisting with shelters for those under attack, providing food baskets for struggling families, giving protective vests and firefighting equipment for first responders, and trauma care for children. And even now, the Jewish people continue to return back home from all across the globe and all of this is possible thanks to your support. Our global network of more than 90 offices in all continents proved yet again during the recent conflict that Israel is not alone. Our members organized or joined numerous pro-Israel rallies expressing solidarity with Israel and its right to self-defense. All the way from countries like Papua New Guinea in East Asia to Mexico and Nicaragua in the American continent, or in Europe in the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Germany, Denmark, or the Netherlands. They were also writing articles, appearing in mainstream TV and radio stations, or sending solidarity messages in countries like Canada, Estonia, Fiji, or Ghana. And last but not least, they all conducted urgent prayer meetings 
praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe you have seen how important it is to have an international Christian embassy right here in the land of Israel in times of crisis. But not only here in the land, but also around the world, our branches are working tireless to stand in this support and friendship with the Jewish people. We are your extended arms and your extended hands towards the people of God. And even in times where anti-Semitism is rising all over the world, our ministry is more important than ever. Please continue to stand with us and to pray for us because we are your embassy right here in Jerusalem. God bless you.